Blue 42. Here we go. This is Blue 42. We're going to go red, right, tight, close, sprint, left, G, U, corner, half back, flat, on two. Ready? Right. Now here's your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Blue 42. Blue 42. Good morning, Bump. How are you now? Good morning, fellas. I'm doing well, Paul. I'm starting to think you are a wedding crasher, man. I think, I think you got a side hustle, man. You, you've been hitting these weddings. I love it. I haven't been to enough. There was a year where I went to nine. And Dang. that... Nine weddings? That, yeah, yeah. Most of them involved travel. Nine weddings in my life. <laughs> I, I would like to go to more. There is it. How many left on the dog? There are multiple left on the docket this year. We'll see if I actually go to all of them, though. I'm not sure if I actually have all the vacation days left to make that happen. All right, guys. <laughs> Question number one. I saw this from Tyler Lockett this week, and he was talking about at minicamp the Shane Waldron offense. He said, you got free range to do a lot of things. Not saying we just go out there and do whatever we want, but the more and more sophisticated you become in this offense, you understand how you can switch your feet. A bunch of things that sounded like a lot of wide receiver gobbledygook bump. <laughs> now, I, I thought about this. I don't worry about Tyler Lockett and how he would fit into the Seahawks offense. But I do wonder about DK Metcalf, and it's mainly from this perspective. We know DK Metcalf can run the deep route. We know that DK Metcalf, when he comes across the middle as well, once he gets ahead of steam, whether it's against the San Francisco 49ers or some of the other teams that he was able to do it against, we know that he's really good in that spot. But I do wonder about those battleship tendencies that we know that he had at, in, in college and maybe the fact that he's not the, that he's not the same kind of route runner that Tyler Lockett is. I wonder how that might affect his fit in Shane Waldron's offense. It's not to say I'm expecting bad things. How do you think he'll fit into Shane Waldron's offense? Well, first got to look at what DK brings to the table. He's big, he's fast, he's strong. You have to expect him to be the leader when it comes to the deep ball. You can't sleep on Tyler Lockett. He has a knack for putting space in between the defender and catching the tough ball over the shoulder on the sideline. He's good as well, but just off of his physical attributes, there's no way Shane Wald is not going to use him down the field throwing the ball deep. Now let's talk about his evolution. Last year was the first time we really saw him in a slot a lot, so he's adding stuff to his game. And if you are playing in a slot, you're going to have to do a lot of sit-down routes, a lot of shallow routes. So I think they're going to use DK and Lockett in as many places as possible because it's not as easy to pick up tendencies when you can do that. Every year I've seen DK add something to his game. I think last year was the best I've seen him when it come, came to running routes. I've seen him catch a bunch, of, a bunch of slants, whereas a year prior, he was just down the field. So I think they will use him in any ways that he can handle. If he can prove that he can run these shorter routes, sitting in zones and do all that stuff, they're going to use him. But initially, he's going deep. <laughs> they're they're going to take the lid off of defense and take their shots. But it's all about what he can handle. And if he progresses the way that I've seen over the past couple of years, I would assume they're going to use him all over the field, intermediate, deep, short, everything. Bump, DK's hands, I don't want to say they're bad, but he's dropped some balls. Being a short receiver or a, on shorter routes is going to require him to improve his hands, right? Yeah, and it's – um. To me, I call it hand selection. It's how you catch the football. Like, your hands naturally fit in certain ways when the ball is high, low, beneath your, your, your waist. It's all about his hand selection. And just think about it. How many big guys, I guess nowadays you see it more often in the NBA, how many of these big guys are good at shooting free throws? Not a lot. It's because their hands are so big. They're not as yeah. flexible. You know, that's why the little guys, that's their advantage is that 
They're a bit more flexible. They can move in different ways. He's going to drop some footballs. Every receiver drops footballs. I think it just looks worse when you see a big guy and he doesn't look comfortable catching the rock. Hey, that's just something you deal with as a big man. T.O. had to deal with it. I think Brandon Marshall had great hands for a big guy. But typically yes. you see these big receivers not look comfortable when the ball is close to their body and nice and tight. Is big hands the reason Paul George choked on those two free throws last <laughs> night? Man. Oh! It's Playoff really, P down playoff his leg. P. Five for ten from the line. Five for ten. I'll go five for ten right now in a playoff game, Danny. Five for ten. Why did people think that he redeemed himself with one game for all of the playoff issues that he has had? All of a sudden, it's in the past because he did it against the Utah Jazz. Okay. Because <laughs> that's the when world we live in. Oh, oh, he did it. Oh, that that's him. That's who he is. He's One writing moment. a new legacy. He's got he a new storyline that he's yeah, playing. Get out of here. He's still playoff no, P. Man, Clippers. You take you take playoff P's, playoff history, and you combine that with the loser juice that the Los Angeles Clippers are rooted in. Like well, you didn't expect <laughs> anything else, right? And now they're coming out like, Oh, we've been down O two before. It's not done. Well they have, okay. so we, we, they're we cooked see. though, right? They're cooked. I don't know, man. Twice this playoffs they've been down two games and they've come back. They go down 3-0, it's a wrap. But until that happens, I you just can't count them out right now. Even though it hurts me to say that, you can't count them out right now. Do you know any actual Clipper fans back in L.A.? I know none. And if you are my friend and you are a Clippers fan, keep that on the low. I don't need to know <laughs> that. I don't want to look at you differently. <laughs> it's like being a GoBots fan when the Transformers were there. That's my old man joke for the day. Like, anybody, anybody got that? It's 45 and up. Question two. Those are the little pots, right? Uh, it was the it was the it was the off brand. Had a separate cartoon. Was not as cool as the Transformers. It's an entirely different product, just not as cool. Cole Beasley has said that he's not going to comment anymore about the COVID vaccine. Says he doesn't want to be a distraction. Is this the right approach for uh, Mister Surfer looking uh, slot receiver? <laughs> I, I think it is. But that's what's great about football. I heard this. And I thought, man, that's what's awesome about football is that you got 50-something guys from different places, believe in different things. But at some point, if you understand that you want to win, you got to put certain stuff aside and, and connect with your teammates. You don't have to all get along, all believe in the same things. But the veterans, the good ones, understand I'm not – if I'm on the bills, I'm just not talking to call about the vaccine. Let, let's talk something else. Let's talk golf. You know, how's your wife doing? How's your family doing? You don't have to harp on the things that you disagree with. And sports really helps guys do that. It happens in all sports, but football, there's more variety in the locker room. So I think that's the right move. There are going to be certain guys who believe the things that he believe in, and they're going to go out and they're going to talk that talk and say, man, this is ridiculous. But you just learn who to have certain conversations with for the better good of the team. I think it's the right move. He's clearly not the only person that feels that way about vaccines in the Bills locker room. Josh Allen also has some reservations, and I know there are likely others based off the way that Beasley is talking. I do wonder if those reservations change if one of those guys ends up becoming unavailable for a game this season. And maybe there's less a chance of that just given the vaccination rates that we have across the country now compared to the none that we had during the NFL season. But... It's it's an interesting stand to take saying also at the same time, I am going to do everything I normally do in my life when the NFL sort of outlined, yeah, you're not, you're not going to be doing the same things that vaccinated players are doing. 
there's always room for things to change. Right. He just hasn't been he probably hasn't been hit with the situation. Maybe he doesn't know anybody who's gotten COVID-19 or they just know they didn't have it. You know, maybe he has he hasn't been sick. So his perspective is just, is just different. He's living his life through his experiences. So that just tells me he hasn't been hit with it. I know like five, six people who had it. I'm pretty sure I had it at one point. You know, so my perspective is a bit different. And you can't, you can't knock him for that. If he gets it, if he were to get sick, his perspective may change. But he's allowed to think whatever he wants to think. But he's doing the right thing by tabling that. Let, forget that, man. Let, let's, let's game plan. Let's talk about let's talk about our division. What, what do we have to do to win? And bringing up vaccination and having all the media around you after practice and causing all this commotion, it don't help the squad. You got to bring guys together. Question number three. Bill Belichick handled a question about analytics the same way that he would handle any question about Snap face, Insta Twitter. He goes out of his way to basically act as if he doesn't know any of those apps. He also went out of his way to basically say that analytics, numbers, the data that you might use in other sports, that's not something that he takes into account. I don't know if I necessarily buy that bump. Is this a good or a bad thing for Belichick to say? One... Belichick has done a lot of winning in his life. So when he talks about something, even if you don't like the way he says it or you don't believe in it, there has to be some validity to it because that's he wins. That's what he does. Now, I think analytics are good for like a baseline. Right? I know that when we come out in this formation, this is the type of look that we're going to see on defense. Now, once the ball is snapped, people move, things change. But it's like a baseline. What analytics don't account for are the players winning their individual battles. Right, You come into the sideline and your tackle is saying, Coach, I'm whooping that DNs, you know what, we're good over here. You know, Our, our receiver saying, look, this corner cannot guard me. We ran a hitch three times. The double move is ready to go. So I think he taps more to his players in those moments. Analytics is a baseline. This is what we think we're going to see. But as the game progresses, guys get tired. Guys are having success. Some guys are off. You rely on communication with your players and what guys are seeing upstairs. I think it's a good move. And don't don't rely on a piece of paper with numbers on it to make your every decision, especially not in football. In baseball, it's a bit different, a little more structured, less less can go wrong in baseball, I guess. But in football, with 22 moving parts on the field, you can't rely on analytics. Bump. I will also say this: that Belichick is playing a little bit of uh, cat and mouse here. He's letting it, he's making it seem like he's suspicious of that stuff, and he use it. He was one of the captains of like never punt. Or the punting much less than you're supposed to. You remember the time he got roasted for deciding to go for it against Peyton Manning? Because, like, we're not punting the ball back to him. And they yeah. went for it close to midfield. They didn't get it. They ended up losing. And Belichick was like, well, if we would have punted there, he would have scored anyway. Like, I'm not, I'm okay with that decision. He's He uses numbers. He's a bigger nerd than he wants us to know. Maybe. And, and, and here's the thing. Numbers lie sometimes. Yeah, I mean, numbers can say, look, in this situation, this wasn't going to happen, and something completely different happens. And sometimes your gut is wrong. I've never seen a perfect football game. I've never seen it. In baseball, that's that's as close to perfect as you can get. In any any sport, is baseball. A pitcher can throw a perfect game. Any of the sport, there's errors all over the place. It's who makes the least errors, and that comes to coaching, and that comes with execution when it. Um, players in certain plays and baseball also is different in that baseball is a sport where those numbers are a lot easier to apply it's just too hard i think to apply some of the numbers that are used in football the way that i think some people assume that they can be used because of how well they are used in baseball you got 22 moving parts on a play you know it's 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 not quite that simple 
the way that I think some that are in the analytics committee and, and community and want to bring it into football a little bit more than it already is can actually grasp. Here's the other thing. It's not just that Bill Belichick, how much he uses or trusts them. There is somebody he trusts who knows all of that stuff. Ernie Adams, who's up yeah. in the in, in the box, he's the one that communicates most of their clock management. If you if you watch the replay, the Super Bowl that shall not be named that everybody gets mad about before that <laughs> final play, the, the the interception, Bill Belichick is surprised to hear in his headset them telling him to keep the clock running. He has a timeout, and you see him visibly react, saying, what? Allow the clock to run down. It's because Ernie Adams was telling him, like, nope, switch the pressure onto Seattle. Make them decide how they're going to manage this, that they've got they've got time to run three plays, but one of those has to be a pass. We're going to make them choose which one's the pass. And you see Belichick reacted. His initial instinct was to save as much time as he could, and they didn't. So he also knows and has guys that he wants to listen to. And, and that's huge, right? you got to have guys you trust. you got to have a guy in your ear in the heat of the battle when you have to make decisions. I, I told you before, as a coach, sometimes I've taken my headphones off. I'm like, man, yeah. stop talking right now, dog. Like, I got this. I put in way more work than you have in this situation. Just ease back. Now, there are some guys who talk where I'm like, give me some more. Give me some more. So you got to have people you trust. Also, i got to point out, Texas are saying Bill Belichick has done a lot of cheating. I agree. He has cheated. But you Allegedly. know how the saying goes. Football players, football coaches, they'll tell you. Every coach has said this. We'll tell them what we're doing. We're just going to execute. And if you play better, you just play better. So I get Belichick has done some cheating, but you can't Allegedly. deny, man. Come on. This, I mean, he – what, six Super Bowls he has? Six Super Bowls. Um, you got to respect game at some point. Two more with New York. That is <laughs> that Blue 42. <laughs> that's, that's Blue 42. Michael Bump is with us each Wednesday and Friday.